All right, we're going to get started. If you want to come grab a seat, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. So during the Spanish-American War, a woman named Clara Barton was overseeing the work of the Red Cross in Cuba. And a young officer of the U.S. military named Theodore Roosevelt approached her, uh, wanting to buy uh, food and supply for his wounded and sick Rough Riders who had been fighting in this war. And as he approached Clara, he said, I'd like to purchase uh, these supplies for my troops. And she said, no, you can't buy them. And he was kind of taken aback by that and a little frustrated that she would say that to him. And he kind of stomped off angrily and was saying, who is this lady that's not going to sell me supplies? And came back and said, I'll even use my own money to purchase this. My troops, my Rough Riders need these supplies if they want to live. And she said, you can't buy them because this supply is not for sale. It's free. All you have to do is request it. And if you wouldn't have just stomped off, I could have explained that to you. And he said, oh, so the supply is not for sale. I can just have it. And she said, yes, all you have to do is submit a request. And you can have all of this free, and the supplies will be for your troops. He thought, okay. Little story about uh, something that, for Theodore Roosevelt, went in just expecting that he was purchasing something that was valuable, and that there was probably a scarcity of supplies, and he'd have to buy it. Not knowing that the Red Cross was giving it out free to the people that were fighting in these battles. I wanted to open with that story because today we're talking about Ephesians chapter 2, and we're talking about a gift that comes to all of us. And it's a gift that, that God gives to us, and it's a gift that we so often have a hard time receiving freely. And if you want to open up to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, I want to read through uh, the first 10 verses. And some of this might be familiar to you, some of it might be new, but let's just listen uh, Listen as we, we hear the word of God here in Ephesians 2. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one could boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Beautiful words, beautiful imagery that uh, Paul sets up here as he writes uh, to Ephesians. As we read it, a couple things um, kind of come to mind is that really there's kind of two panels in this chunk of, of scripture. There's verses one through three that talks about kind of like our plight in life without Christ. And what we find again and again from Paul is he's very in touch with the human condition. And we find Paul very humbly in other places in scripture saying, I am like the worst of all sinners. If you really knew what was going on inside of me. 
He's very honest and he's very open about his struggles. And he says, because of this, I'm, I know that it's all of us. We all have these things that we are broken people. And then the second kind of panel of this is talks about verses 4 through 10. It celebrates Christ coming and the changes that are made to the human condition because of God's work in our lives. And it's this language of celebration. It's this language of God moving and restoring and healing the things that are broken in us. If you look at this passage and kind of look at like the original Greek, and uh, I don't know Greek, uh, but I've, I've read about this passage is the first seven verses is a, a run-on sentence. There's like 140 Greek words in one run-on sentence. Like your middle school English teacher is like, this is breaking so many rules. <laughs> this long sentence. And we don't even get to the subject of the sentence until what we have is the fourth verse. And then the verbs, verbs come in verses five and six. Like I would love to have that without kind of the English punctuations just to see this run-on since that Paul's trying to communicate this thing that's happening between the human condition and then God coming in, moving in our lives. And in verse 4, we get this subject. We get this, I think the whole kind of idea pivots here with this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by his grace you have been saved. One of the things that I've done as I, as I read scripture that's helped me is this idea of kind of like writing out the phrases I don't know if you've ever just spent time like writing out scripture, writing out a Bible verse, but you can, you can kind of see the chunks of the big ideas. You can kind of distill what the author is trying to communicate, what God is communicating to us when you do this thing called phrasing. When we come to verse 4, if we would phrase, kind of do this phrasing activity, what we'd find is you would start with the word but, and I've heard people say this is the largest but in the Bible. Yes? <laughs> hey, okay, but, because he's... <laughs> He's talking about the first three verses and everything transitions here. Our human condition, but because of his great love for us. Think of that phrase, because of his great love for us. Paul, who understands our brokenness, is in touch with our brokenness. But because of his great love for us, God, this is who this is all about, God, who is rich in mercy. When you kind of reflect on that line, it's this, this economic term, the wealth of God. He is rich in mercy. Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, and then it is by grace you have been saved. It's kind of fun to do this phrasing activity when we read through Scripture. And if we were to distill it even more, the next slide, what we'd see is really kind of these three big ideas emerge about God. Great love, rich in mercy, and by grace. If you could define what is it that God is all about and how would our culture even view God, do we think of these ideas of great love, rich in mercy, by grace? And we could distill it even more to love, mercy, grace. When we think about the body of Christ, the church, are those words that are used to describe. Paul is completely in touch with the brokenness of humanity. And then he starts to say, but because of love and mercy and grace, God moves into our stories. God is full of love, mercy, grace. Moving into our stories. When I was uh, kind of growing up, 
grew up in the church and then went into ministry in my 20s, I would always talk about, I think, like, the defining characteristic of followers of Jesus is love. It's, it's our love for the world. It's our love. Like, all you need is love, right? Like, love is everything. And yes, absolutely, God is love. As I get older and in my own life have made mistakes and been around other people who have made mistakes, one of the characteristics of God that I appreciate more and more now more than ever is this concept of grace. Grace. Yes, God is all about love. God is all about mercy. But this concept of grace to me is so unique. The great theologian and author C.S. Lewis was at this theological conference, and they were talking, uh, this group of, of theologians, about what is it that makes Christianity distinct from all other un- religions? What is it that makes it so unique? Because other religions talk about love. Other religions talk about forgiveness. There's pagan religions, like these old primitive religions that have things that rise from the dead. What is it about Christianity? And C.S. Lewis walks in the room and he goes, that's easy. It's, it's grace. It has nothing to do with our merit. It has nothing to do with us trying to appease God or working our way towards his blessing. This God who created us in his image, who loves us unconditionally, offers us grace. It's this free gift. C.S. Lewis says, this is what makes God's love unconditional is this idea of grace. Growing up, I'd hear that grace, the definition of grace was when we get what we don't deserve, it's a gift. I love the Strong's Concordance, their definition of grace. It's this Greek word charis, but it's gift. It's a gift that is divine influence upon the human heart. Think of that. It's divine influence upon the human heart. A couple months ago, uh, the MTV Movie Awards came on. And I don't know if you watched the MTV Movie Awards. I sure don't, but uh, saw a highlight of it. And uh, there was a speech given by, by Chris Pratt. So if, if you know Chris Pratt, big fan of his work, um, he gets up and he starts talking about God. And if you're like me, you're kind of like watching with like this apprehensive... Uh, anticipation, like, this is good, I hope, and then you hear him start talking, and he's saying things like, you're like, oh my goodness, that's crazy, but good and fun. He says this about grace, and I, I love that. He says, nobody is perfect. People will tell you that you are perfect just the way you are, but you're not. You're imperfect. You always will be, but there's a powerful force that is designed, that has designed you that way, and then when you're willing to accept it, you will have Grace. Grace is a gift. Like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for by somebody else's blood. And do not forget that. Do not take it for granted. He got up in front of really the whole world, especially young people, and just said, we are broken. We're not perfect. And when we're able to come to grips with that, grace can enter our story. Grace is something God offers us in the midst of our imperfections, the midst of our brokenness. Grace from God is present. I've heard many authors talk about how grace kind of flows like water on a mountain, and it always flows downward. It's like there's this gravitational force when you see water 
with the snow melt, with rivers flowing towards the lowest point. Grace kind of works like this. There's this downward force from heaven coming into our lives. One of my favorite things to do in Phoenix, and I talk about this all the time, is I love hiking, and I specifically love to hike Camelback Mountain. And if you've ever been up Camelback Mountain, you can see all of Phoenix. You're kind of right in the middle of the mega burb that we live in. You have to go there sometime when it's rainy. And this probably isn't what like the park rangers would tell you, but I'm telling you that. You, at some point, you have to hike in your lifetime Camelback Mountain when it's raining. Super dangerous. If you have to call in sick from work, your pastor's saying it's okay just once. Uh, but if you get on top of Camelback Mountain when it's raining, first of all, it's usually covered in clouds, and you feel like you're in the heavens. It's just glorious. But then when it's raining, too, if you've ever been up Camelback Mountain, it's this red rock. It's kind of cliffs on one side. You start to see the water just trickling off the mountain, and it's one of the most beautiful experiences when you're hiking. Water just starts kind of flowing off the mountain. It's probably super dangerous. Um, but you can see it coming off the mountains and, and, and the different little uh, riverlets, whatever it creates, they, they join together. They start to form pools. There's nothing that can stop that water. If you watch water melt up in the Rockies, you, you know that those flow off of the snow fields, off of the cliffs into rivers and those or, or, or brooks and streams and those go into rivers. And everything is flowing down to the lowest part. There's this gravitational force on water. But what happens is over time, that force changes the landscape. We see things like the Grand Canyon. And we know that water created this. That water over time, the force of it carved out this magnificent canyon that we can see. And I've heard these Christian authors talk about this is how grace works in our life. It recklessly pursues the lowest point, and it can create something beautiful. I love what Philip Yancey says about this when it comes to grace. He says, no matter how low we sink, grace flows to the lowest part. No matter what we've gone through, no matter what we do, the grace of God comes and it meets us in those very low places. It's this gift that we don't deserve. Here in this passage is Paul's writing to this church. He's talking about this gift of grace that comes from God. We don't deserve it, yet we receive it because God is the generous giver of grace. My children are at a, a point in life, upper, the two older ones are like upper elementary now, where they're starting to realize that life isn't fair. Things happen, they're like, that's not fair. And what is our response as parents? Life isn't fair. But life isn't fair also because of grace. Life isn't fair because of grace, as well as it's not fair because we don't get the things that we think we're entitled to. And yet there's something about eternal life that isn't fair because grace comes into the picture. Jesus talks about a world that is uh, flowing with grace. He talks about a sun that shines on both the good and the bad. He talks about birds that gather seeds in abundance. Now they're, plow they're not plowing it or harvesting it. But they don't earn it, and yet they get it. He talks about unattended wildflowers that burst forth on rocky mountains, on the cliffs, out of nowhere. He talks about a prodigal son who returns from a very foolish trip and finds a loving father who embraces him and throws him a party. Jesus talks about this idea of grace, and he says, it's all around us. It's all around us. 
when Paul talks about kind of the second panel of this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, he leans into this idea of grace. But because of God, who, if his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, offers grace to the lowest parts of us as humans. No matter what we've done, no matter what we go through, God meets us in those low places and says, here is life. Here's life that's eternal. Life that's eternal. The second part of this, Paul takes this idea of grace and he springboards it into calling for humanity. This beautiful verse in verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. Now he brings this idea of calling into it. We don't work for the favor of God. We don't work our way to heaven. It comes from this idea of grace. But because of that, we realize we're created in the image of God. In life with Christ, we're all of a sudden activated for good works in this world. Blessed people will bless people. Healed people will offer healing to others. Restored people will bring about restoration. But it comes from that gift that flows out of us. To be in Christ means to receive the gift of grace which gives life. But to be in Christ also means to distribute the gift of grace which gives others life. We receive this gift and we distribute this gift. This gift gives us life that is eternal and it's a message that we share with others to say that this life that God offers us is eternal. One of the best books I read in the last couple of years is a book by the Christian author Christine Pohl. It's called Living into Community. And she talks about how grace changes a congregation. It changes a community. When we live with grace for each other, this grace that we receive, that we distribute as well. She goes on to say the best testimony to the truth of the gospel is the quality of our life together. How we live together is the most persuasive sermon we'll ever preach. Good communities and life-giving congregations emerge at the intersection of divine grace and human effort. Grace is something that we receive that gives us life, and it's something that we distribute, and it gives life to other people. This grace is a gift from God. Life eternal. In the midst of our human condition, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of us hitting the lowest places, grace meets us there and pulls us out of it. Life with Christ comes. This idea of grace, Greek word charis, is something that we actually celebrate every Sunday here at Desert City and churches all over the world. We take part in the sacred act called the Eucharist. Eucharist comes from this idea of you, which means good, and charis, gift. It's this good gift of our salvation. When we take the Eucharist, the communion, the elements, we remember this good gift that's been given to us, the gift of life eternal. And then we also proclaim it. We receive it, we distribute it. 
We experience it. We put it on display. Each week we do this in remembrance of this God who in his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, offers us grace. Today also we are going to celebrate through baptism. Baptism is something, again, that is sacred that we do, that, that celebrates this inward transformation. It's this outward proclamation that I have experienced the grace of God. I'm no longer separated from him. In the midst of being in the lowest places of my life, God has met me with this reckless downpouring of grace. And now I have life again. Maybe today you've never experienced that grace. You've never said yes to that grace. And we invite you to do that. The water is free. The well is deep. We invite you to experience that living water, that good gift of salvation, of life eternal. And Tim's going to come back up, and we're going to spend some time just reflecting on, on this idea of grace. And we'll move to communion. Here at Desert City, we practice open communion. So we say if you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited to the table to remember and to proclaim. Today, if you've never said yes to this grace or this gift, we would invite you to do that, to open your heart to the downpouring, reckless love of God that meets you in the lowest places. When we move to the time of baptism right after the service, maybe you've never been baptized before. Maybe you've never gone public and said, I've received this grace. It would be a very courageous thing to do, but we invite you to jump in the water with us. We have extra towels even. Remember and to proclaim this grace, to receive and distribute it as well. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of salvation. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of the ways that we've been separated from you, the ways that we've followed our desires of our flesh, the way that we've got things wrong, the way that we've sought life and all sorts of things outside of you that have left us exhausted, weary, worn out. We've found our place uh, to be desperate. We know that your love pours out like water. Your grace recklessly flows down and meets us in the depths. You offer us life, life that's eternal. For some of us, Lord, we need that reminder today. And for some of us, Lord, we need to experience that for the first time. We pray that your spirit would come, Lord, that you become real to us in these moments, that you would stir our hearts to relationship with you, that we would say yes to the gifts that you offer. Lord, that we would be honest about our own brokenness, that we'd be willing to seek help, that your goodness would abound. Lord, meet us here today. In your son's name we pray.